Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. On the podcast today, we marked Holocaust Memorial Day by hearing some of the remarkable stories of those who rescued Jewish refugees from the Nazi Holocaust in the company of historian Tim Dowley. We discussed the frankly unsurprising revelation that smart motorways are death traps following claims from the government that it was misled over their safety with Neil Gregg from I Am Road Smart. But first, we were joined by top barrister Chris Dorr and solicitor Aisha Nea for a forensic analysis of what's wrong with our failing criminal justice system that sees 13 out of every 14 reported crimes go unpunished. 93% of criminals are getting away with it. That's my view. There's never been a better time, Matthew, to be a criminal than right now. And there's no... There's no two ways about this. The country is in a crisis. We are in the middle of a crime epidemic. Knife crime is the highest it's been since records began. And we need to do something about it. And we need to do something about it right now. We haven't got the time to investigate the causes of crime. We just need is to that take not, action. Is that not the starting fast. point that we've ignored for 50 years? We may well have is done. why people commit crimes. We may well have done. And I'm, I'll park that issue because I do think we should do that. But right now, we need to take urgent action. And I'll tell you what my take in the programme is. We need long sentences and we need them immediately imposed. Let's bring knife crime, for example, in line with gun laws. So at the moment... Can you just help me out? So, Usman Khan, the London Terror Bridge attacker, I think had just done eight years uh, on terror. Eight years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And and then he came out, he killed someone, killed two people. How would a longer sentence... Uh, led to any change in behaviour in a man who eight years wasn't enough, why would ten years change him? Why would twelve? Why would fifteen? I tell you what, Matthew, it would do. It would take him off the streets to stop him committing the offence. But they all come out in the, the end, don't they? Near well, enough. Well, lock up dangerous people for longer. That is my argument. And we meet in the programme the family of Michael Hooligan, who was the victim of a horrific knife stabbing. He was trying to protect a girl um, just as a passerby, and his killer who he thought was punching him, was actually stabbing him with a knife. He was out on licence as well. He'd previously bitten off the ear of somebody and he'd been sentenced to prison. He was out after 50% of the time because, as you know, in this country, there's an automatic relief after 50% of the because time. Because so if, if we don't offer any kind of incentive for good behaviour behind bars, you would have riots, wouldn't you? If you just made everybody do the full term? Well, I think everybody should do the full term. Or we where's, the incentive to, uh, where's the incentive to do good? 
well, we lock them up for longer. Or if in doubt, we don't let them out. And we have a rigorous testing before these people are released. It's very easy to go along and play ball while you're in prison and, and say all the right things to the parole board when you're about to be released. But we know that people that are being released are going on to reoffend. Nearly 50% of those charged with London knife killings over the last three years had previously committed an offence using the, a blade. And you know what my answer to that is, Matthew? Lock them up for longer. These are clearly dangerous people. Are we as a society just being too kind to them, letting them out? Crystal, you can see why people need to watch this show, can't you, Matthew? Because every morning they're going to get the two of us going head-to-head on, on prisons, on the police. Everything Aisha says is complete and utter rubbish because we have the longest prison sentences in this country that we've ever had. We have the highest prison population that we've ever had. We have prison overcrowding. And what's the consequence of all of that, which is exactly what Aisha wants more of? We have more and more knife crime, more and more murders on the streets of our country. And the reason is, and you, you mentioned the Usman Khan case, because if you've got someone in prison for eight years, 24 hours a day, and you don't make any improvement to that person's state of mind, you don't do anything to stop them reoffending. then prison is clearly failing. Keep them locked up. Don't let them out. Well, if you follow that logic through, we'd end up like they are in America. They have two and a half million people in prison, and do they have no crime? Obviously not. They have the highest rates of violent crime, homicide, drug crime. What do you say to that, Aisha? Prison numbers are high because crime is high. We are the but, highest but level we've that, been. But the point in, in the US system is that they have the highest prison population in the world and it has no impact on crime. Well, it does have an impact. It makes crime go up and up because well, you just well, have this standing disagree. army of criminals. I would disagree. I would say crime is going up. It's nothing to do with prison. Crime is going up for various reasons. We've lost our sense of right and wrong as society. We've lost our morals. We're not disciplining our kids enough. There's more things to steal. Sentences are too low. There's poverty out there. People are hungry. straight away that you didn't really particularly want to go at the the, the background. And yet I can remember when people were talking about austerity in 2008, 2009, and youth workers were one of the first things to be cut. My friend who'd already been cut twice in previous uh, rounds of austerity as a youth worker said, you wait, watch knife crime go up. And lo and behold, knife crime went up. That's my point exactly. Don't we have to look look at the background? You say we've lost our sense of right and wrong. Locking people up for longer isn't going to bring that back. We need to look at, at, the, at the roots, isn't it? Where, where criminal behaviour comes from. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. Now, we, we've marked Holocaust Memorial Day in the past by hearing the testimony of survivors of those death camps. But today we're going to go in a slightly different direction with the help of Tim Dowley, uh, the author who sits in front of me now. His book, uh, published uh, just a couple of days back, uh, Defying the Holocaust, addresses uh, the mass extermination of millions from a very different angle, from the angle of those unsung heroes, some of whom I, I must admit I've never heard of, which in itself is extraordinary as the time goes by, who put their own lives in jeopardy to help uh, many Jewish refugees. And Tim, who's with us, is, is going to talk us through some of the stories in his book. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hi. It, 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 it is, to my mind, it is just extraordinary that 75 years on, extraordinary acts of heroism are still coming to the surface. And it makes me wonder how many more there might be out there. Exactly. I mean, it is extraordinary. I mean, what, what got me writing this um, was actually my wife's mother, who was a four-year-old in Prague in... 1940, and um, obviously in danger of being arrested, they and she with her family escaped to to to, to Paris initially, which wasn't the safest place to be because the uh, Nazis then occupied that, and they spent the rest of the war in um, 
southern France, in Vichy France, you know, in, in great danger. They, they went first to a little hamlet where they were, where the mayor got his people to look after people until they were um, in, informed on, and then they had a... They just went from pillar to post, you know. And one other area I, I found fascinating, before we get into any of the actual stories themselves, is while rumours of death camps were starting to come through really towards the back end of the war, for most of the time they were in operation, people didn't know what was going on. We, they were aware that the Jewish communities and Roma communities were disappearing and being put on railways, but nobody knew really what was going on, not ordinary citizens. So the, these heroes and heroines who put their life on the line, what prompted them to act? I think in, in, in almost every case it was their, pers- their own conscience, their own conscience, because they often they were against their own institutions, you know, the church... Church authorities often didn't support them, or, or actually you know, looked the other way. Yeah, yeah. But the individuals, one of the stories is about a um, a Belgian uh, priest, and when he was asked why he did it, he said, I, "I couldn't do anything else. It's what I had to do." I mean, that's conscience speaking, as, as far as I can see. We, we, we'll come to his story in a moment. Perhaps you could start us off um, with Elizabeth Abeg and, and her story, because we alluded it to to it earlier. She sounded like quite an extraordinary woman who was more than happy to be to be known as someone who's giving two fingers to the Nazis. Yeah. Oh yes, exactly. I mean, she she was an extraordinary woman when lived the, in Berlin. Lived in Berlin. She was sixty at the time. Sixty. She was a history teacher with a PhD in history. You know, the last person you expect to do anything. She'd always been a bit involved in. You know, she'd she'd been sacked from schools before in the nineteen thirties because she said that uh, you know, Frederick the Great wasn't necessarily the greatest person around, which didn't go down well. Heresy with the Nazis. at the time, yeah, exactly. Um, but she she lived in a little flat in Berlin with her mother, who was eighty six, and with a disabled sister. But it's reckoned that over the course of the war she was in this she was in the sort of hub of a um uh, resistance group they saved probably about 80 jews altogether 80 jewish people who these submarines these people were trying to maintain an existence in berlin she caught she drew attention because she refused to fly the nazi flag uh, above her flat but at the same time i believe was actually concealing jewish people yeah. refugees in her flat yeah. which seems an extremely perilous yeah. course of action to I, take i mean I, I i don't really understand how she you know how she got got, got away with it <laughs> i have to say i'm none the wiser from reading the book yeah, hiding in plain sight yeah. well exactly. maybe maybe the Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. You know, I'm a layman. Uh, Matthew's a layman. Shappy's a layman. We, from a layman's point of view, smart motorways seem to me to be utterly insane. Yeah. That unless you break down every one and a half miles where there's a tiny lay-by, you're stuck in a, at the middle of a motorway with traffic hurtling at you and people 60, are dying. 70 miles They're insane, aren't they? Well, yes and no. Um, a, a few years ago, a few years ago, they were going to be the answer. You have to remember that in England, we have some of the most congested motorways in the whole of Europe. We needed to expand our motorway network. We needed to get extra capacity. Adding an extra lane was a great idea. That was going to cost loads and loads of money, lots of inquiries, that kind of thing, new routes. Taking away the hard shoulder seemed like a quick, easy alternative that could be made to work if you applied technology to protect people who broke down. What seems to have happened is we've taken away the hard shoulder. We haven't actually applied that technology as promised. How might they work then, Neil? Well, 
the, the ideal scenario, and this was based on what happened on the M42 around Birmingham, lots of gantries, lots of CCTV, lane control signs above each lane, detection equipment that detected immediately a stopped vehicle and set the signs behind that vehicle. Of course, that means you're sitting in the outside lane of a motorway and all that's protecting you from the traffic coming behind is a red X on a gantry that's, that's, a few hundred yards back. That's, we, we, and that's, we, the, that's the issue. That yes. It, it just doesn't seem to work. Combined, I, I would suggest with... I, I, I don't do much driving these days, but I, I do quite a lot down the M4 and M5 in the summer, and they've got smart motorways on the M4 as you approach Bristol, and it was pretty obvious that because they were a relatively new thing, that few drivers had any idea what they were and what we were supposed to do. Uh, you've, you've got the lanes off for the motorway into Bristol, you've got the M4, you've got the M5 coming up, there's lots of big junctions, and in between all of this, the hard shoulder disappears and it returns, it disappears and it returns. Mm, yeah. It's confusing. You're right. Absolutely nobody has been trained how to use these motorways because uh, until recently, you couldn't go on a motorway as a learner anyway. That's no. now changed, yeah. but that's slow, a slow change coming through now. So basically, you're learning by your mistakes or you're learning by the education campaigns that came along. And, and they've tried their best. They've tried to get the message out there. We've helped them at the IAM to get that message out as well. And, you know, in terms of congestion, the, the, the new roads do seem to be delivering. We're getting more traffic through. We're reducing a bit of delays on M25, M1, Just 38 M6. people have died. That's but the unfortunately, problem. it does seem to be putting people into a very high-risk situation. But I have, to, I have to say that anybody stopped on any motorway ever is in a high-risk situation. Yes. The moment you stop on a motorway, you're in a very high-risk situation. In theory, this should make it safer. It just doesn't seem to be working. You, you're better way. off if, you, if you're in a, in a lay-by. Do you have any idea, Neil, why Sir Mike Pennington, the top Tory who gave the go-ahead in 2010, says that the government was uh, misled? I think what he means by that is that the, the, the system we saw in the M42, frequent refuges, frequent gantries, full coverage, CCTV, that hasn't been what's been delivered. We've had long stretches of the M25, long rural routes in the M1, the M6, and, and you've got signs at the side of the road. We do, it turns out we don't have the promised vehicle detection systems. We don't have the full CCTV coverage. It takes 17 minutes in some instances for a, a, a stopped car to be detected. But how, wow. God, that's God, dear minutes. God. Uh, I, 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 that's taken the wind out of my sails. But, but Neil, <laughs> I, I, that's actually blown my mind. I'm never driving again. Uh, so tell me, I, 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 I'm interested in, in Kevin's point as well. This idea that the ministers make out they've been hoodwinked, you're suggesting that critical parts of the scheme haven't been delivered and I'm still not sure who's to blame for those critical parts not being delivered. A good question. Uh, it, it is complicated by the fact that we now have Highways England, the standalone company who deliver the, the roads on behalf of the Department of Transport, so there's, a, there's an issue there. I think they, they were... Behind the scenes, if you like, they knew what they were doing and, and, they, and they produced standards and, and they said this is what was going to happen. It wasn't until we actually saw it in reality that we realised what that meant. You know, a refuge 1.6 kilometres apart is actually a long, long way yes, if you're broken exactly. down. Um, whereas, you know, in the past we were used to a continuous hard shoulder. But, you know, our motorways are, and even these stretches, do still remain our safest roads. But I do think the Highways England need to deliver what they promised to deliver on the technology side. Is it, is it fixable? Because I mean, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that if I'm reading this right, the government has taken taxpayers' money and they've given us lots of smart motorway but not delivered at a high enough spec for safety. 
So, and that's a one and a half billion pounds invested. So I'm now sitting here thinking, are they going to row back now and cancel all that smart motorway? So we'll spend another billion and a half pounds putting the roads back to where they were before we, the first billion and a half. Or is it possible, Neil, that we can fix this? I think that there's going to be some retrofitting. That's what we've been calling for. We mm. believe that these roads can be retrofitted with the equipment. We can get more CCTV. We can get more active management of the road. We, we can get more education campaigns. We can also look at things like finally enforcing the red X signs. At the moment, in some parts of England, if you drive through a red X sign, you might get a letter a week later saying, you know, naughty person, you did that. Uh, from from I, the powers are now in place. You you can get a fine for that. So if you do go through a red, a red X is the same as going through a red light. Uh, so and you would get a fine for that on a normal on a normal street on a motorway. You don't, but that that should come along as well. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to the Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from one on Talk Radio. <laughs>